Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another edition of Locked on NBA. Really glad to have with us today the NBA draft guru, extraordinaire, expert, myth, legend. I can keep going, but he's, he's the best. That's really all I need to say. Chad Ford, ESPN Insider on the NBA draft, joins us. Chad, thank you so much. Hey, David. It's always, always a pleasure. Love being on your show. Now, Chad and I will hopefully do this again in June, and I will actually know something. As of this moment, the last time, Chad, I have seen any of these guys was in Portland last year at the Hoop Summit when I saw you. Oh, man. But I have not watched... Yeah, things have changed a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I have not watched an ounce or a moment of college basketball. So I'm really kind of coming to this from an ignorant standpoint. By the time I watch film and do all this stuff, we can talk again in June. So do, do understand there's a high level of ignorance on my part. But I want to start with kind of uh, two kind of angles. We'll talk about the NCAA tournament and the conference tournaments. Uh, we're recording this on the Friday of, of conference tournaments. Uh, uh, from just, we'll talk a little bit, kind of bracket, and then we'll break it down into kind of individual players. So let me start with kind of the oldest truism of NCAA tournaments: the team with the most NBA players wins. I mean, even if we think back to like, oh, Butler's so shocking, right? Except for the fact it had two, you know, NBA players um, when it was in the finals last year. Duke had a bunch of NBA players. What rosters have the most NBA players? You know, that's, that's really interesting because, you know, this year, I, I think more than most, you know, we'll look, we look at, you know, Kentucky last year and, and they, they ended up not winning. I mean, Duke ended up winning, but, you know, they had a ton and, 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 and like you said, Duke had a ton. You know, this year, it's, it's a lot more spread out um, than in years past. Like you look at Kansas, I don't, I don't think they have, they may not have a first rounder uh, on their team and they're going to be uh, the number one seed. Uh, you, you know, you look at, some of the blue bloods, Duke and Duke has one really great player, but you know, after that, there's some question marks, uh, you know, Kentucky, another team that's usually just stacked and, and you look and you, you know, their, their best draft prospect, uh, you know, Jamal Murray is, is, is a really great player, but then, uh, Scott LeBissier is, is, yeah, you know, you're not really sure about him. It, that makes it really tough. I mean, when you look at the favorites to sort of win it this year, it's really hard to pick out a team and say, okay, this is a team that's loaded with draft prospects. We were just going on that. We were just going on, okay, um, who has the most lottery picks um, in uh, on their team? I, I'd say that you'd either pick you'd either pick Cal, uh, who has Jalen Brown and Ivan Rabb and, and several other guys uh, that could be uh, NBA players, or uh, you're going to go and you're going to look at Kentucky and hope that the strong play that Scott of the has uh, played really over the last uh, couple of games continues. He's finally figured it out. And if that's the case, I mean, those, 
those are the two teams that I really look at that say, okay, they have at least two lottery picks uh, on their team right now. 538 did a nice article the other day in regards to how open this NCAA tournament is, that they've never had less favorites, really, in their statistical analysis than ever before. I think they use some Ken Palm stuff in there as well. Do you think that that makes this the NBA player phenomena more important or less important? Yeah, you know, uh, David, I'm also going to be, I'm also going to just clear disclosure right now. I am horrible at predicting who wins the NCAA tournament. Um, You know, every year I actually spend a lot of time thinking through this. You know, I have brackets, I have family members calling me, friends, coworkers, because I watch so much college basketball. Of course, I'm going to know who wins it. And and I bomb it every year. I bomb it for two reasons. One, I'm an absolute Kansas homer. Uh, I, I grew up in Kansas City. I love. I have an irrational love for the Jayhawks. I basically think they're going to win it every year, and you know, with the exception of uh, you know Mario Chalmers hitting a big shot, they they don't. Uh, and so that that uh, that messes me up. And then, actually, for me, then again, because I'm watching teams for their NBA prospects and not watching them comparatively to say which team is the better team. I mean, I watch. NBA, I watch college basketball games very differently than like most of our college basketball analysts do, right? Because I'm, I'm focusing on individual players and I'm, I'm trying to figure out them and their strengths and their weaknesses as opposed to, you know, the overall strengths and weaknesses of teams. Um, all that means I'm terrible, uh, at, at predicting because I wish, I wish I was better, uh, at, at telling you who is going to win. So, you know, I don't, I don't really know, um, uh, because every year I think, okay, this, you know, this team's going to be great. And yeah, they, they don't really always turn out to be that way. And, you know, especially like our number one pick in our draft, I'm going to play in the tournament um, probably. Ben Simmons of LSU, unless unless they go on a miraculous run in the SEC tournament, um, they're out. The number four guy uh, on our um, on our board, Henry Ellenson, uh, Marquette lost yesterday. They're, they're out um, of the draft. And you look at some of the other um, teams, Duke, the Duke's already out of the ACC tournament, and they have Brandon Ingram, the number two guy in the draft. I'm not sure what they're going to do. Cal isn't heavily favored. They're going to be a mid-lane scene. Kentucky has been up and down all year. They have great guard play and no no real big interior play. And so, man, it becomes it becomes tough to really like draw out from me which of these elite NBA prospects is going to really help. Washington has a couple of, I think, terrific young players. Uh, they lost last night. Um, they're probably not going to make the NCAA tournament as well. And so it, it's tough because I, I agree it's wide open this year. I have not seen a great team. Uh, and I also will just say this. I don't think this is the strongest draft I have ever seen either. I'm not sure that there are the elite players in this draft that we're used to seeing um, that are going to carry a guy. So, look, if Buddy Hill gets hot for Oklahoma, I could see him going – uh, taking the team far, you know, we've got Denzel Valentine uh, out of Michigan State. Uh, he's he's played great. I could see Michigan State uh, going far. In, in in some ways, this draft has been a little bit about, for the first time in a long time, seniors uh, actually kind of moving up the board. I think we have more seniors in our top 30 than I can ever recall. I'd have to go back and, and really do the math, but I, I can't ever recall this many seniors um, being ranked this highly. And I think that's just something to the weakness of this freshman class um, and the fact that so many underclassmen left for the draft last year. Uh, and I think that's created some parity 
uh, in college basketball because you just don't have the dominant uh, freshmen that, that are really taking over the way we saw uh, Duke do last year and Kentucky do last year. Interesting, really interesting. Chad Ford uh, with some great comments. There. All right, so you may have just answered it, but I just wrote down the following question. Do these young players not carry their team to success because they're not good enough, or is there something about college basketball that's prohibiting them from having an impact? Yeah, you know, look, every year the strength of the draft is based off of the incoming high school class, right? Uh, that's, that's always going to be the strength of the draft. And the last couple of years, we had good, really good incoming high school classes. This year, I don't think it's been the strongest. I don't think this is going to be a terrible draft, uh, but I don't think this is one of the stronger ones um, that we've seen. And, and because of that, I think LeBissier is a great, great example of this. That he And you, you saw him out in Portland. He, he looked unbelievable. Uh, in the Nike Hoop Summit, uh, really talented. You know, people were like, okay, is he going to be the next Anthony Davis? Is he going to be the next Carl Towns? And, you know, you're in January, and the guy can barely get on the floor and was going games where he wasn't even collecting a rebound uh, and really dramatically changed Kentucky's team because they counted on him to be really their dominant low-post presence, and and he can't do that. the last couple of games, he's gotten better because they figured out how to use him, and they've used him as sort of a stretch, stretch big man, and they're getting involved 15 feet away from the basket, and where he can really shoot the basketball and use him there. But you know, this guy's not going to be a guy that's going to go and power it up in the paint or um, what have you. But he, to me, is a little bit um, representative of I think a lot of the um, the freshmen that have come to this class that just aren't ready. Now, look, Ben Simmons ready. He's ready. Brandon Ingram's been, uh, you know, really, uh, really incredible to me. Henry Ellenson um, led his team in scoring. Jamal Murray is a 20-point-per-night scorer uh, for Kentucky. I mean, there's a few guys out there um, that after you kind of tick off those guys and maybe Jalen Brown out of, out, of, out of Cal, the pickings become a lot more slim. And, and interestingly, on each of those teams, Ben Simmons just didn't go to a very good team at LSU. If he'd gone to Kentucky, we'd be thinking about Kentucky completely differently um, right now. And, you know, I think that's, um, that's an issue. Uh, Brandon Ingram went to a very um, immature and young team. I think Coach K had more NBA defections because they won the national championship than he expected. And, and so that team is weaker uh, than, than, than normal. And, and, you know, Kentucky, like we said, maybe didn't get the contributions that they thought they were going to get for some people. So, you know, it's a, it's a really interesting uh, tournament for me um, to, to see who's going to rise here, who's going to raise um, the level of their game. And I think one of the things, and maybe we're going to talk about this, but I think one of the things that's really interesting is does the tournament have any bearing on, on, uh, draft stocks because I think the popular opinion is it's huge it's the biggest stage it's the most important thing ever and I think most NBA guys if you talk to them say ah it's just it's just a a few more games it's just another data point uh amongst a whole bunch of data points and it really doesn't matter and um I don't know what you think but I, I have some actually just having worked in this business for a while some strong opinions about that I'll answer that in a moment, but let's talk about our sponsor, SeatGeek. SeatGeek is a fabulous ticket-purchasing app experience. Download the SeatGeek app and add the promo code LOCKED. The other day, a buddy of mine just sent me a text. Hey, do you have tickets for this game? I said, no, I don't have any access to those. Check out SeatGeek, use the promo code LOCKED, and you'll save $20 
after your first ticket purchase. He texts me back, that was amazing. It is. It's an incredible user experience. SeatGeek pulls all the tickets available on all other sites into one place to save you time. You never miss a deal. You can also set up to send you alerts if you know an event you want to go to, like one of these NCAA tournament events or a conference tournament, or you know you're going to be in a town for a certain thing. You set your alert. So you do that. Then it shows you a grade. There's big green circles for the best deals. Little small red circles for bad deals. So you get a good deal. You have easy use on it. And it's always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike other places, the full ticket price is there start to finish. That's the beauty of SeatGeek. Download the SeatGeek app. Use the promo code LOCKED and get $20 off your first purchase. And you'll find out the same thing my buddy did. It is a great user experience. Download the SeatGeek app now. Promo code LOCKED. And now my answer on the tourney's influence on draft position. I, I think it moves guys up five to seven spots. Um, I think I think that's about right. I've seen uh, some papers at the Sloan Conference that have made some arguments um, that way. And, and and not only does it move guys up five to seven spots, I, I've seen guys with disastrous tournaments uh, just lose all of their draft steam. Uh, as well. And, uh, and I think it's the psychology of a couple things. It's the last time that you see guys play and last impressions are a big one, really big one, just psychologically um, for people. It's also on a huge stage. It's going to replicate in some ways the sort of pressure of NBA games and, and, and the playoffs and the single elimination tournaments uh, where guys are really playing and, and some are stepping up to the occasion and, and others aren't. I think people read into personality, uh, courage, um, you know, all of those sorts of intangible or softer skills, I think, start, start to get evaluated uh, a little bit in the tournament. And how scouts talk about players and their personality can be somewhat affected by what they saw in the tournament in the biggest stage when their whole season was riding on the line. I think uh, I agree with everything you just said, but I would say, and it's interesting because I think that it leads to a lot of mistakes. I, I think if we go through it, I've not done this. This is completely made up and which I don't usually do, but I would guess that if we go and find the guys, and it would be hard to figure out this metric. We sh- you and I should try to work on it. It's probably your work, and I'll do the research or something. But you're, uh, if you get, find the guy that was at 15, that ends up at 9 because he had a good tournament, I'm going to guess more often than not, he should have been 15. Um, you know, Kemba Walker, five years into this league is in the NBA, is now finally having success. But he was certainly looking like a guy that was overdrafted. Trey Burke looks like a guy that was overdrafted. Shabazz Napier looks like a guy that was overdrafted. Gordon Hayward is turning out to be all right, uh, probably underdrafted, in fact. Uh, I'm just trying to run down the list off the top of my head, but I think when we look back at some of these guys that have had these tournaments, these big tournament runs, you just get comfortable in late June because they've got all the intangibles, tangibles you talked about. You're probably better off going to what you thought about them in February. Yeah, I, look, I agree with all of that. Uh, I, I think you're right. I think there's other factors that come to play, too. And, again, you know, if we had a general manager on it right now, he would scream to me, this isn't true, but I would scream back to them, you're human beings and you're not robots and you're affected by things. Like, for, for example, there's popular trends to draft guys based off of what they've done, right? You know, everyone's screaming when Shabazz Napier had the 
you know, the tournament of a lifetime. Why isn't this guy hiring the board? Why are the people penalizing seniors? Why, you know, these are the things that we want. And I, I, I feel like all that noise, it comes from the media, it comes from fans. I, I think it resonates in, 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 in those hallways. Now, they say it won't. They say they could care less what people think. Uh, but, you know, when Adam Morrison gets drafted three, uh, I think it, I think it matters, right? I think it matters what um, what the perception is on the outside as well. And I, I think there's an analytics example, and I'm not the analytics expert. We'd have Kevin Pelton on the phone, and he could probably um, explain this more than me. But in his in his um, projections that he does, his analytic projections for prospects, there's a there's a major regression that's going to take place for uh, a couple of things. One is if a player uh, is older, um, right, it, it, we look at things with a bit of a grain of salt, right? And, and, and so like Napier is a, you know, great example of, you know, he's a senior, he's out there, he's had four years experience that he should be performing at a higher level um, at the tournament. He's been through this experience um, before multiple times, uh, in fact, and, and he should be now more prepared to come in and play. So when he has success, sometimes success against 18 and 19 year olds, you have to take that with a grain of salt because age and experience really matter um, at this age. And uh, most of the analytics show that 22 year olds that have great seasons as seniors are typically have peaked and they're typically not going to be the same player that you think in the pros. And so you look at like two point guards that we're trying to figure out right now, Chris Dunn and Jamal Murray, you know, which guy do you go first? And, and you look at the numbers and say, yeah, Dunn's probably having a better season uh, than Murray is, but yet Dunn's 21 going on 22. Murray just turned 19. Dunn did not do this at Providence during his freshman season, what Jamal Murray is doing uh, as a freshman right now. This happened with uh, Miles Turner and Willie Cauley-Stein last year. You know, they're trying to compare two guys, but one guy has three years of experience and one guy had one, and you're trying to, ex- trying to compare year three experience with year one experience, and I think what you really have to do is look at year one experience for both players, and that's maybe a little bit more apples, apples to apples. So people are going to get excited about Buddy Hield. I think they're going to get excited um, about Denzel Valentine. I've seen on, on Twitter lately this sort of campaign uh, to draft Malcolm Brogdon out of Virginia, and he's going to turn 24 uh, in his first month in the NBA. Um, of course those guys are going to have better seasons. They've, they've played a lot longer, but that doesn't pre- predict future success in the NBA. And I think the same thing, you could hold the same thing true with the tournament. Just because they come in and overperform in, in a three or four game spent where they get really, really high does not suddenly that data point is not more valuable than all of the other data points that are there. I think it's a data point. I think it's worth thinking about um, and factoring in, but I think you're pointing out and I think you're right that that data point suddenly becomes more important um, than all the other data points that you have. Okay. There's a million ways to go. Uh, let me let me point out just tournament. Here's the flip side of the tournament thing, and then I want to get back to the senior draft um, issue because there's some more details to it, and I'm a huge, 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 huge believer in it. The data shows it's true, and it's just so logical to everything you said. But let's go back for a moment on the tournament. Here's the flip side, and you're going to have to help me out. I, I think I'm going to probably have a memory on this that's slightly wrong. But I remember watching Kansas State 
play USC, I think it was, in the tournament, and Kansas State ran every player late, every play late for Billy Walker and not, nothing for Michael Beasley. And I said to myself, wait a sec, this coach knows something. Like, I think that's what I sometimes can see in the tournament. There's this high prospect, big deal. And wait a sec, in a do-or-die game, the coach is not using him in some way. That, I think, should often be a red flag. That should have been the red flag on Michael Beasley. Billy Walker's nowhere near as good as Michael Beasley, but clearly the coach couldn't trust him late in games. Well, that's, that's one explanation and might be the right one. The other one is coaches that tend to heavily rely on, on, on uh, players. That, I, I can't remember, was Billy Walker a freshman as well or no? I don't know. He, I think he might have been a sophomore. Yeah, he might have had a year or two, so your point's probably going to be good. Keep going. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, these college coaches are going to rely heavily on, on their seniors because they know them and they trust them more than they trust the freshmen. Most college coaches have an have a extreme distrust for their freshmen unless you're someone like John Calipari or, you know, Coach K, who has such elite freshmen uh, that, you know, they, they sort of overpower everything else. I think, I think that's, that's really common. You know, look at, look at Kansas right now. Uh, they, they've got Chick Diallo and Carlton Bragg. Those are their two best NBA prospects on the roster, and they barely get on the floor for the team this year because, you know, Perry Ellis has been there for four years. Uh, and Landon Lucas has been there for three years. And um, Jamari Trailer has been there for four years. And, and Bill Self, as much as it's good for him in recruiting um, to have his guys drafted high, he wants to win a championship, and he thinks the way to do that is with experience over just raw talent. Uh, and um, and I don't know if he's right or wrong. I mean, we'll we'll see. I, I'm I'm praying he's right because I'd really like Kansas to win the tournament. Uh, but you know, I watch those guys, and every time Carlton brags in the game, I'm like, this is clearly the most talented guy on this roster. It's like from a scouting standpoint and every time he comes into the game he does great things but he plays 10 11 minutes a night uh for for kansas it'll be really interesting he he could be if he entered the draft this year carlton bragg who plays 10 minutes a night roughly uh for kansas he'll be the highest jayhawk drafted uh in the draft and he probably will go somewhere in the first round and um and but i wouldn't read into that when he gets five or six minutes in a tournament game that coach doesn't trust Coach thinks that there's something fundamentally wrong with him. I think it's it's about also sort of relying on on who you know and who you trust. And and now Beasley, I mean Beasley's really interesting because uh, obviously um, Beasley's turned out to be a knucklehead uh, for a lot of ways. But Beasley also posted one of the greatest freshman season yep. in the history of college basketball. Uh, his projections, statistically, analytically, were off the charts. Uh, as far as what he did. And so in some ways that seems irrational to me because he was playing well for Kansas State his freshman year and he was helping them win basketball games. Uh, so, you know, just it, it, interesting sort of psychology and all this. And coaches play such a big role, obviously, in college. They do in the pros as well, but not nearly, I think, to the same level um, that they do in, in college. And so each of those situations, I'd have to – my first question would be, who's the coach? And and what do we know about the coach and the history is sort of how they trust their young players before I'd read into that second thing. 
All right, let's talk about the seniors. You mentioned that there's more seniors in the top 30 ever. You also just mentioned that seniors have been uh, – there's a there's a real pitfall to drafting them. Uh, to elaborate on Kevin Pelton's uh, really well-done research is – basically the concept is exactly what Chad said. When you look at a senior as a draft prospect, you've got to go back and look at their freshman and sophomore year numbers. If their Steph Curry is a junior and their freshman and sophomore numbers are really good, then you can feel all right about drafting him. If they're Wesley Johnson or Epe Udo and their freshman and sophomore numbers are terrible, in fact, both those guys transferred, and they emerge as a junior or senior as a 22, 23-year-old, 21-year-old against young kids, that is a red flag stay away. Jimmer Fredette falls into that a little bit as well uh, with the explosion that he had and those have been the bust it's not a guarantee they're going to bust but it's the most likely scenario to find a guy who's going to bust is this script which of the seniors that are being talked about in the upper part of this draft that we can watch in this tournament chad are guys that had success early and which of them are really kind of ooh, be a little nervous about this phenomena well you know one of the guys that's been Hard for me to figure out because he he's going to be the college basketball player of the year. His buddy Hill, uh, his freshman year, he averaged about seven point eight points a game. I uh, shot thirty eight percent from the field. Shot twenty three percent from three. Uh, not a great not a great freshman season. Played twenty five minutes a game, so I mean he he got minutes. And, and then he had two I think really solid um, sophomore and junior seasons that that put him in the draft conversation as a sort of bubble first round pick late first round early second round he he was a scoring machine he shot it decently from three shot 39% as a as a sophomore 36% from three uh as a, as a junior um only 41% from the field though as a junior and actually regressed a little bit we I mean, this year buddy's averaging 26 points a game shooting 50% from the field, shooting 47% from three. And for much of the season, it was closer to 50% uh, from three, taking a high volume of shots. And, and he makes all of these huge shots, and he shows up on these big games, and he plays his heart out every night. And it's clear when you watch him that the kid has worked relentlessly on his game, which I think is a good sign, right? Like one of the reasons he's improved it's not because he got more opportunity. It's because he's been working on the holes of his game. But then I say, okay, look, he's, he's undersized for his position. Um, that's a bit of a concern. He's a bit one-dimensional um, as a player. He's really a, a hired kind of scorer, and, and I'm not sure there's much else that he does. And he takes shots with a high degree of difficulty, uh, right? And, and he makes them. You've got to give the kid credit. Like, he makes those shots, and he's been making them all year. But he used to not make those shots. He's making them this year. But there's a big difference when you get to the NBA and the players you're playing against are even bigger, even longer, even more athletic, when defenses are even more attuned to what you do. I think it's really hard to keep making those shots uh, when you get to the NBA, right? You have to have be, be able to get clean shots in the NBA um, and not these fadeaway, turnaround, uh, unbelievable sort of shots that Buddy Hill uh, can hit. Uh, on a regular basis, and that that scares me a bit about him. And it's one uh, you know, Kevin Peltman and I have just been talking about because obviously the st- statistical projections are wary of Buddy Hill. Uh, they're looking at him and they see this sort of season a bit fluky, and um, and all of those sort of factors check in. And and I, I think he's going to be one of the most interesting players to watch because he's the type of guy who can be a darling in March, um, who's going to be. 
is going to go off for some huge games, will help Oklahoma probably win more games than they need to, uh, is always involved in sort of last-second sort of uh, situations, which are the things that we remember the most about March Madness, you know, what sort of happens the last minute uh, of games. And where does he go in this draft at, at the age of, of 22? Um, he'll turn, um, you know, 23 uh, in, in December. Where does, where does he go in this draft? I, some teams love him in the, in the top 10. And other teams are much more skeptical and having as, you know, a sort of nice sort of scorer off the bench. And I, and I think that's where it starts. That's, that's the first guy, I think, the most intriguing of the seniors because he's had that Jim Fredette sort of bump. I, so exciting to watch. Had so many Sports Center highlights every night. Um, people want him to be, you know, the next Dwayne Wyatt. That's interesting. Uh, the adage is that the tournament is a guard event. The history backs it up. Trey Burke, Kemba Walker, Napier. Like it backs it up. Who are the best guards, point guards that you've seen that can impact the next three weeks of basketball? Yeah, well, we talked about Buddy, and 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 I'd be shocked if he doesn't impact. I think he has thirty nine points in the in the big uh, last night against Iowa State. Um, uh, Jamal Murray out of Kentucky. Uh, he's been on a on a tear lately. A freshman of Canada, and we saw him at the Nike Hoop Summit, and he won the Nike Hoop Summit uh, for Team USA. Just dominated in that game. Mature beyond his years, and he's got a couple things going for him. One, Kentucky is a completely guard-centered offense right now. They don't have any scoring, really, on the wings or in the post. And that's going to put it on Tyler Ulis and Jamal Murray to get it done. Ulis, by the way, if people watch him, they're going to fall in love with him. He's the best point guard in America. Uh, if he was three or four inches taller, he would be a top five pick in this draft. And he's one of the best point guards. I, I honestly, that I've seen in college basketball in a long time, he's just five foot nine and, uh, and, you know, 100, 150 pounds. And that's a really tough, um, fit, um, at the next level. Um, and, and, and he, he's great. But Jamal Murray, that's the one thing about Kentucky is they do have that backcourt. They get killed on the boards. But they do have that that backcourt that could get really exciting. I think people will fall in love with Murray. He's he's got the basketball IQ. He's got the swagger. He he knows what he's doing out there. He doesn't play at all like a freshman. Uh, and I think he's going to have he could have a big tournament. Chris Dunn out of Providence, uh, who's extremely athletic, long, uh, flashy, makes incredibly great passes. Uh, just a dynamic player. He can take over a game. Uh, and uh, I, I think he's another guy. If Providence starts to get on a little bit of a run uh, in the tournament, that could get some buzz. Um, and and then you know after those guys, after those three guys, this isn't a particularly strong draft for guards that are going to have big games. There's Demetrius Jackson out of Notre Dame. I mean he's pretty good. Um, Denzel Denzel Valentine, if you want to call him a guard, he's pretty good. Um, I'm just going through, you know, Grayson Allen out of Duke, very polarizing player. Uh, The the sort of J.J. Redick of this draft, and he shot the ball well. He plays hard. He's athletic. He does does so many great things, but he's undersized. and Just just a very polarizing player. Uh, player, I, I, I think that's one of the issues this year is where is the great guards uh, when it comes 
uh, to um, the draft. And um, I think we talk about Murray, you talk about Dunn, Tyler Eulis is going to be great. I don't know where he goes in the draft. I think some teams should take a risk on him because I just think he's, he's too good not to. And after that, there's no one that really excites me uh, at the guard level, either the one or the two, um, that, I, that I think is going to be a huge impact player in the NBA. Is that the new iPhone? Yeah, got it on T-Mobile. Fastest iPhone deserves America's fastest LTE network. Introducing the amazing iPhone 8. It's the best iPhone yet, now on America's best unlimited network. For a limited time, save up to $300 on the amazing iPhone 8 after 24 monthly bill credits. And now join T-Mobile's iPhone upgrade program for free. Eligible trade-in and finance agreement required. If you cancel service, you may lose promo credits. Contact us for details. Video at 480p. Small fraction of users over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speed. See store for details.